What's up, Orange Nation? Tyler Aki alongside Tim Leonard here for another FizzCast. And this was supposed to be kind of our year-end wrap-up, give you our final impressions and thoughts from this Syracuse basketball season. Then a bomb drops out of nowhere. Matthew Moyer transferring from the program. We just can't have an easy day around here, can we? No, he didn't He didn't take much time, <laughs> did he? I mean, what, a day after? And news comes out Monday afternoon when we're recording this, and boom, here we go. I was just ready to tell... Tell the people the 19 and 20 year olds don't know how to play against the zone again, and now we've now we're going to talk Matt Moyer. <laughs> Dust couldn't even settle, and we already have news. We'll have that and all the our Matthew Moyer thoughts, as well as what this team looks like for next year, and then just we can reflect on what was really yeah. a, an improbable run for the Syracuse. A lot Orange. to talk about. Fizzcast. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. You're watching the Fizz. Okay, not ten. What's up, this fans? Most brutal thing I've seen in thirty years. Welcome back to another episode of the Fizz, and especially when it comes from our people. OrangeFizz.net. It's Monday, March twenty sixth, about six thirty at night, and Tim Leonard. We've learned two things from over the weekend: a nineteen and twenty year olds still don't know how to play against the zone. Yep even when they play it themselves. And B, Matthew Moyer is no longer a member of the Syracuse basketball team. Yep. Uh, Like I said at the top, he didn't take much time. And, you know, it leaves a lot of question marks. And we'll definitely dive all into that because this this roster next year is loaded. So, frankly, it was hard to envision his playing time. And and now I guess that leaves, you know, there was always going to be question marks and always going to have to be some some stuff up in the air going into the roster and stuff was going to unfold as we expected but we got to know that Matt Moore is not going to be a part of this team pretty early and so now we'll get into all our Matt Moore thoughts again we were thinking a trip down memory lane we're not getting that anymore we're getting the full dose of what's ahead in the future the whole crystal ball type aspect but before we even get into basketball I just want to hit on one quick football thing I don't know if you saw this news from over the weekend, I believe it came, but Rex Culpepper diagnosed with testicular cancer, first and foremost. Just want to send out our thoughts and prayers. Uh, A a terrible situation there, but hopefully he can come back better than ever. Rex Culpepper, again, a a backup quarterback, but again, some things are just bigger than football. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It just puts everything in perspective and really sad news, so definitely thoughts and prayers to Rex's family and, and obviously a scary situation. We wish him the best. All right, so where do you want to start? Do we, do we start with Moyer? Do we start with, with... Let's just get right into Moyer. Yeah, I've got, I, I, I've got yeah, stuff to get off my mind. All right, so Matthew Moyer, again, I don't think this comes as much of a shock to you and I. Uh, this is kind of the writing on the wall. You saw Mark Dolajai just emerge as a beast down the stretch, starting with like the ACC tournament, and then he has a phenomenal tournament run, kind of catches the nation's eye as this gritty type player who's going to be an awesome four-year guy for Syracuse. Then, along with that, you've got Darius Baisley coming in next year. It seems like Moyer's going to get phased out even more. He's looking at more of a third-string, three- or four-type player. Yeah, and especially if Brissett comes back. Exactly, and that's another thing to throw into the whole kind of scoop there. But first of all, I think I get to have my own little funeral here. Because <laughs> I, you and I both know, I am all in on, hey, this game's going to be the Matthew right. Moyer game. I don't, think I, can say game. I don't think I can say that anymore. I know. It's a shame. It was a mandatory thing with every podcast. I guess you hit on the UConn game, but other than that, he had some Georgetown too. He had, some, yeah. he had some good plays. Georgetown was good. And, and That's you about know, it. That's about all we got. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say this. He, he wasn't terrible. Um, he got in either rap. of the Duke games, he he was kind of Jim Beheim's scapegoat, and you kind of Jonathan Hoppy laid this out a little bit. You almost got to admire him. I mean, as a redshirt freshman, this is re- really his first exposure to Beheim publicly calling him out. And there was the whole situation with his dad that he didn't want him to play when he had the ankle injury, so we're not going to play him, and I'm not going to play a guy if he's not if he doesn't want to play and whether Moyer wanted to play or not wanted to play, it, it just appears that he was kind of that guy who Beheim liked to single out, yeah. almost like a Tyler Roberson that we saw from the last two or three years. And now he's got this kind of reputation as maybe he doesn't care, 
stuff like that. But I just don't think that was the case. No. Whenever he went out there on the floor, he certainly gave 100%. Yeah, it's honestly just kind of sad in a weird way because he's a guy that I thought just from everything that we saw, loved Syracuse, was really excited to finally get out there this year, was the starting forward coming into the season. And, you know, you talk about that press conference with Jim Beheim, you had to feel for him when that whole thing was going down. And like Jonathan Hoppy was laying out, it – was amazing that he really stayed quiet. He could have probably caused a scene or or made more of a scene from that whole thing. Because, again, but... he's a loud-natured guy, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess from that press conference, like you said, it just kind of felt inevitable. When your head coach goes out there and kind of publicly bashes you like that, and it's just this is the what we've seen. He Beheim... you, when you question character, that's when you things get personal. Yeah, absolutely. It was a personal shot, and Beheim's picked one of these guys each year, and – it seems like it was just, you know, we knew someone was going to transfer, and it seemed likely that he would, given, like you said, all all the guys coming in next year at that forward spot, Doljai improving, Baisley coming in. It's just hard to envision him getting a significant amount of playing time. So now I wish him the best. Hopefully he goes somewhere where he will get that playing time and will prove some doubters wrong, because I do think he's a good player. He just never really got into a rhythm this season. He was always on that short leash, and... He never really was out there for a bulk of time. He just couldn't find his offensive game. He was kind of a liability offensively because he didn't develop that jump shot, and hopefully he can prove some guys wrong in the future. So I'm starting to think now, who is the next kind of Jim Beheim whipping boy? Yeah. I don't is it know. Buddy? No. <laughs> just because he can get away with it? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe Jalen Carey. I always quickly go to the freshman because I feel like It's not going to just... be Baisley. No. It can't, it can't be, be Baisley. He's going to start Baisley. I think he has to. Best recruit since Carmelo Anthony. I, I don't know. I Maybe Carey. Howard Washington could get it, too. Yeah. <laughs> he almost kind of got it this it's year, It's got to be someone. It's a shame. Why can't Jim just go easy for a year? Just take a year off. He's got a talented roster. Just don't worry about putting anyone in the doghouse. But we know there's going to be someone, unfortunately. My, my money's on, on Buddy because he can kind of hide it. Like, I'm his yeah. dad. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He could get away with that one for sure a little bit. So the whole situation now with Moyer transferring, again, this is a kind of a strange situation because remember he redshirts his freshman year, so there's one, he still preserves four years of eligibility. Then he goes plays this year, so there's one gone. Right now he has to sit out a year to transfer, and that kind of shows how bad he wanted to get out yeah. of Syracuse because he is going to lose one year of eligibility. He'll get two more after he sits out this next year. Again, we have no idea where he's going. He's a journalism student. He had offers from Arizona State Northwestern, so maybe that kind of comes back into play. Yeah. Again, you, you got to look at what the rosters are like there because, of course, things have changed over the last two years. And obviously too. he was committed to Ohio State at one yep. point. Mm-hmm. That's closer to home as well. So... There's certainly options out there for him. Again, he's a former top 100 guy. Didn't show a ton during his time, but obviously you're coming from a program like Syracuse. You're going to get some bites, and Moyer certainly will get his chance. I think he's going back to – I think he'll go to the Big Ten. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. There's no way he's going in conference. He was getting a lot of Big Ten looks too. Yeah, I mean, he's from that area. It makes sense. I think the only school that offered him from the ACC two schools, Virginia Tech and Wake Forest, but there's no way he's going to go because then you have to sit out two years probably. Right, and and then you'll forgo even more eligibility. Yeah, on top of losing the eligibility, it's just tough to sit out two of your first three years as a college basketball player. So that really shows even more that he wanted to get out of here just because – I don't know, it was probably really hard on him to sit out that first year and then you finally get some playing time and maybe not as much as you had hoped and now you've got to kind of do it all over again and restart. So that's really tough. Yeah, when you look back, I mean, a lot of things kind of going through Matthew Moore's mind. He kind of found himself in a difficult situation because remember, he's coming into a program where it's kind of thought that Jim Beheim is going to be out after. Like Jim Beheim theoretically had coaches last game if things were lining up how Matthew Moyer envisioned right. it. Yep. This that game against Duke would have been Jim Beheim's last game. Now he's gonna get a, a another coaching change. He's sitting out another year. He just needs a fresh start. Yeah. And I think this is what's it's what's right for him. And because I think he has some potential. We saw a hustling type player. We'll see how things go with him. I wouldn't be surprised if he 
maybe goes a, a mid-major type route, or not a mid-major, but like a smaller maybe power a butler. five. Like a butler. You brought yeah. up a butler, and I think that's a good kind of comparison. Follow Jordan Tucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I think, too, with a guy like Moyer, he needs to be put in a situation where he can be embraced as kind of an energy guy. And I don't think he was necessarily going to get that at Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, he's going to go to a starting spot because, or where he's going to be a starter, you'd have to imagine. So I feel like he's going to end up at a school that's at a smaller scale than Syracuse because it's very enticing, the roster and everything that they have going into next year. There's all this hype and hoopla coming off the Sweet 16 performance that to pass all that up, you know the first thing on his mind has to probably be playing time and worrying that he wouldn't get the same amount of playing time that he did this year or maybe wouldn't get more and progress in his college career. So, I don't know. I think a Butler or a Northwestern is really where I see him ending up, somewhere in that general vicinity region-wise and also just similar type of style and size of the school to a Butler or a Northwestern just because I think he wants to be a starter and he deserves to be a starter. He's a four-star guy, for crying out loud, so... He can get starter minutes definitely out of plenty of schools, and he's going to get a lot of looks, and I think he'll prove, like I said, some people wrong once he gets those starter minutes. And he'll be coached, but if he – again, this is all speculative, but I think Moyer also needs someone who, who's going to be a good coach for him. Yeah. And I think a Chris Collins or a Laval Jordan would do a good job with a guy like Matt Moyer. Okay, so let's just go into the, the Duke game. Again, Syracuse – we, we shouldn't be talking Syracuse basketball right now. No. <laughs> Let's be honest. I thought, I thought we'd be on to football recruiting by now. Yeah, I mean. but season comes short, cut, gets cut short, 69-65. Syracuse was holding teams under that 60-point mark pretty much the entire tournament, and then Duke kind of comes out. I wouldn't say they exploded. No. They missed a lot of shots, and I think Jim Beheim said it perfectly after that. I mean, look at the box score, the, the final box score for Duke. The Blue Devils could not hit a shot from deep. I mean, 5 of 26. Just like it was at Cameron. Just they like couldn't it hit a shot at, from three at Cameron either. single stop along the way in the NCAA tournament, it was the zone absolutely dominating. And, and this game was no different. This game saw a, a struggling Grayson Allen from deep. He shot 3 of 14 from behind the arc. He didn't shoot a single two-point shot until like, a what, two minutes left in the game? Yeah, His first it. 16 field goals were threes. He was just chucking them from beyond the arc. And granted, they were kind of good looks, and I was waiting for him to hit one around the four or five-minute mark to be that dagger. But I don't know. They just weren't falling, and he's obviously now no longer a Duke basketball player, which is kind of crazy to think about after they lose to Kansas in the next round ultimately. But I don't know. I was waiting for him to hit that dagger or maybe Gary Trent or someone. But like you said, they were just off jump shooting wise. And I think they were just settling for too many threes at the end of the day. They weren't making them and they just kept settling for them when they probably could have would have been better off going down low to a Marvin Bagley or Wendell Carter. So in this game, Syracuse actually was leading for a good portion of that first half. And then ultimately Duke... Gets out ahead right out of the gate. It looks like run. It, yeah, it looks like Duke's really going to pull away. They're up nine with about four minutes left. But then Syracuse just goes brick by brick. They cut back into that lead. They get uh, within three. Or rather, they got within two. But they just didn't have that extra juice to get that big shot when they needed it. So there was... I'm not going to blame Tyus Battle because he was the he warrior all, really season well. wrong, all season long. Right. He plays well in this game too but he misses a free throw right at the end that would have put Syracuse within one and a chance to foul and get the ball back and yeah. Duke was they were spotty from the free throw line yeah Grayson, Grayson missed, missed one, one right before that um Bagley's not a great sh- foul shooter there's certainly places you can exploit but the one place you can't really the one guy who can make free throws on Duke was Gary Trent and that's down the stretch that seemed like a guy they frequently fouled. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I, I don't know. It's just It was wild watching that game to think Syracuse even had a chance. After that battle three, I think Brissett hit a jumper, and obviously battles going to the line after the Grayson Allen misses the front end of that one-and-one. One, and I don't know. I was just waiting the entire second half for Duke to hit that one-three to make it an eight- or a nine-point game and really put that thing out of reach because – 
that's just what a casual college basketball fan would imagine that game would go. Duke, the more talented team, goes on a run to end the first half, and it just seemed like Syracuse, the 11 seed, their magical run was going to end in like a 10-12 point loss. And for what I mean, that just shows this team. It's really like a metaphor for the entire season with this team. They just kept fighting and kept fighting. Ultimately, they didn't have the talent at the end of the day. And and Duke's obviously going to win that game when they've got some five star guys as their seventh or eighth guys that would be the focal point of a Syracuse roster. They're just way more deep, way more talented, and they have way more front court size. But Credit to this team, like we've been saying all year, because they just kept fighting. There were several plays where I was like, yep, this game's over. Grayson Allen hits a three, whatever it was, around the three, four-minute mark, and somehow Syracuse was in, within striking distance down the stretch in another game. Just the back and forth of this whole game, and it's really kind of tough to put into words how Syracuse just kind of got strung along this entire game, so close that entire time. And you felt like they were going to do it Yeah, the entire game, especially in that first half. But Syracuse could really never build a big enough lead, I felt like, in this game. No. And there were, right out of the gate, it looked like we saw a different beast. It was also just a weird game. It was, yeah. It was like so many lobs and it was just kind of. Yeah, it was, it felt like the NBA All-Star game at times. Yeah, yeah. Where you're just seeing alley-oops left and right. But, I mean, that's the way that both teams found success attacking the zone and the end of the day, Duke was the one that didn't drop lobs and, and didn't miss dunks on lobs, and Syracuse was. And yeah. Beheim pointed to this against North Carolina, and he points to it whenever he plays a really good team, is that when you're not nearly as talented as your opponent, it's those little things that make the difference in the game. And that was certainly the case in this one because, you, again, Syracuse missed two dunks in this game. There was yeah. the O'Shea Brissett where he tries to do the one-handed slam down low, and then there was Pascal Chukwu missing an alley-oop lob that he was wide open on. Th- right. There's four points right there. Yeah. Also, Frank Howard just didn't really give me enough. If if you're Syracuse, I mean, he was kind of so-so throughout the entire tournament, but... He was underwhelming. We got O'Shea, we got Tyus Battle. You need the big three in order to beat a team like Duke, who's a two-seed and way more talented. At that stage in the tournament, you need all three of your guys, and that's been the formula for the Syracuse team all year. You get 50, 55 points from those three, and you put up a good defensive performance, and you've got a chance to beat anyone, I guess. But what he end up with? I mean, he was in single digits, right? six. He finished with six points, three That's not going to get it done. Yeah. I mean, the turnovers weren't really that bad throughout the tournament, but I, I don't know. At the beginning, we know he was dealing with the strep throat and everything, but he just never really got in his offensive rhythm. He wasn't putting up 15, 20-point games like we saw in the regular season. Yeah, we saw a different Frank Howard in the tournament, and honestly, the fact that Syracuse got as far as it did without Frank it's really crazy. being that effective was miraculous in and of itself. And it's because... Again, Jim Beheim stressed all season long, we need this fourth guy. We've only got three guys who can actually play offense. And Marek Dolezal comes out of nowhere. You get uh, O'Shea Brissett, who continues to be consistent. Tyus Battle continues to be consistent. And then is great. Chuku has his moments at times, too. If you had this during the regular season, you wouldn't be sweating it out on Selection Sunday. And... The fact that Frank Howard is the one that kind of drags you down in the postseason, it just felt weird. Yeah. It really did. He had the most experience on the team going in right. as a junior. And we know Chukwu played a couple minutes, but not really when he was at he Providence. Three, yeah. yeah. So Frank's really the only guy that comes in with any experience. And I don't know. It just felt like in the tournament, it wasn't a big three. It was a big two of Battle and Brissett, and then it was Dolzhai and Chukwu and Howard kind of rotating buckets when you needed them, but he never really put up one big performance. Battle was really pretty inefficient throughout the tournament, but at least he was there for the clutch shots down the stretch and was still getting to the foul line and getting to double figures and scoring. Frank was just kind of off his game offensively. So I was actually in Durham. For this game, I went to some Duke restaurant, and I gotta say, everyone wants to juice up this the Syracuse Duke rivalry. Not a thing. It's nothing it, down there. It, it, it's, it's not nothing. a thing. Yeah. Um, I heard more conversations about echolocation than I did about this game. <laughs> that just shows 
to me that nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Um, I it almost got to the point where I was ready to question Duke as a basketball school because these kids just did not care. Yeah. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it, I, I don't know. I mean they clapped on baskets and that was about it. They have they have already a couple too many rivals with UNC that takes up enough of their attention. I don't know. It, it's fun to say it's a rivalry up here, but I don't think anyone really cares down there. And I think that's not really a little-known secret. Just to point. show that, too, there, I, I, we just asked some people, like, oh, what do you think of like Syracuse-Duke as a rivalry? Everyone pretty much said no. And the two people that did say it was a rivalry said, well, that guy Boheim's a pretty good coach. <laughs> so it just goes to show how much those people knew about, uh, about Boeheim and basketball and all that stuff. Yeah, that was good stuff. I'm glad you shared that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. Any last thoughts from the Syracuse Duke game? No, I mean, just what a ride. Like you said, it's it's crazy to think we're still wrapping up Syracuse basketball. And obviously, it just makes the next year even seem more optimistic. I don't know. It's just, it felt like we went back in a time machine to 2015. It really did. There were just so many parallels. And we've touched mm-hmm. on this before. But even when you look up the makeup of this roster from 2017, you've got two backcourt guys in Tyus Battle and Frank Howard who played 40 minutes and controlled a lot of your scoring, which was Trevor Cooney and Mike Benajay in 2015. And then you've got our Malik candidate, O'Shea Brissett, was yep. Malachi Richardson, the freshman breakout in the tournament who helps you out a lot. It's kind of your third option. Mm-hmm. You could even make the comparison that Dolzhai was kind of like a Leiden of that 2015 yeah. team in a weird way. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think – I think they have more – There are different types di- of players, yeah, but they but, filled that same role. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I saw the press conference with Beheim afterwards saying this is the most proud he's ever been of his one of his teams. And I think he said literally the exact same quote after 2015. Right. So it's just kind of crazy. They used the 2-3 zone. They used the defense, even though this was a team that – had some rebounding woes and really struggled to score at times and wasn't all that great in ACC play and a lot of people didn't think would make the tournament. It's just when you break it all down, it's really scary, the similarities between 2015 and 2017. And now we've got looking ahead to 2018, another talented roster coming in, just like 2016 where the expectations are going to be really high. We'll get to what we think about next year's roster at the end of this, but now I think we just got to – Let's go stream of consciousness just through the regular season. You start the season off against Cornell. First shot of the season is Buddy Bayhunt yeah. splashing one right Almost in front forgot. of his dad. People that was forget. an awesome moment. Um, he didn't get the better of, of his dad, Jim, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see some Buddy and Jimmy Bayheim uh, match, matchups down the road too, so those will be fun. But – Right out of the gate, you get into that Miami Hoop Hall Invitational. You, you beat Texas Southern, who again, uh, not a great team, but like tournament a team. Tournament team. <laughs> Oakland was one of the most impressive performances I saw out of this team all season. You mm-hmm. go up against Kendrick Nunn, who ended up being the second leading scorer in the country behind Trey Young, who put up just ungodly numbers. Right. But if it weren't for Trey Young, Kendrick Nunn is probably any other year the nation's leading scorer at about twenty six a game. Then you go up against Toledo. Which was when Battle was hurt in that second half. That was like the first, okay, they did it without Battle. He didn't have to score 20 points. You overcame some adversity. And and then you beat Maryland in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And this is when the fan base is starting to think, okay, maybe this team's legit. You're up to 6-0 on the season. You go to Kansas. You put up a fight. Final score doesn't show it, 76-60. But the Kansas game... It certainly provided promise yeah. that this team might be able to do something this yeah. year. Because keep in mind, and I think you're right there with me, I had zero expectations going into this season for this team. I really thought that this Syracuse team was going to be maybe even a 500 team just because yeah, 17 it seemed wins, like it right lacked there. talent. Yeah. I mean, it, and I think that's still true, but... I don't know. I, I was kind of surprised because they had a lot of new faces that the non-conference schedule won as well as it did. And like you said, even that Kansas game provided some promise because it was really just Devontae Graham went off in that game. Yeah. And obviously, he was hitting shots from almost half court. Yeah, he had, what, 35 points or mm-hmm. something, and that's just an ungodly performance, essentially. Obviously, they were overmatched against Kansas, but 
they hung around. They were a young team at that point, and they showed some promise. Tyus played pretty well in that game. And the non-conference schedule, after what we saw last year in the non-conference, I thought this team would get better as the year went on. And it's not like they got worse. The schedule just got tougher with conference play coming up. But I thought the non-conference was really solid altogether. Then you go UConn, Jimmy V Classic, and it the looks Matt like Moyer a night the Matt Moore game, the one that I actually nailed. Yep. <laughs> um, but UConn, if ended as a nine point game, it was not a nine point game. Yeah, they it was won more that. like a twenty yep. point game. Uh, Syracuse just had a stranglehold on that one, pretty much the entire game. Kind of exercised some demons from last year too. Right, exactly. After that painful loss and really ugly game, so that proved mm-hmm. okay. This team's probably better than last year. Then uh, there's Colgate. We don't need to talk about that one. Georgetown, you get the big comeback. And that's when you really see Frank Howard and Tyus Battle take the reins of this team. And it looks like they're going to propel it into something. They get that big overtime win. Moyer plays an excellent game in this one. Howard was phenomenal down the stretch. Even though he turned the ball over, he he was good overall. Battle hit some big shots down the way. Then you close out your non conference against two tournament teams. Both of them kind of making a splash, too. Buffalo, they get the big win over Arizona. Again, that's a gritty Bulls team, well-coached. St. Bonaventure, you lose a game that you felt like you kind of had in overtime. Again, the Bonnies only hit free throws in overtime. Yeah, that's but true. But Syracuse just – that's when people kind of saw – Tyus was also terrible in that game. Right. He really struggled. And and Jalen Adams and, and Matt Mobley were, were very good. Um, but w- with the Bonnies – that was a game you felt like you could have had, but you thought, okay, this isn't the end of the world because St. Bonaventure looks like it's going to be a solid team this year. Maybe this team is something that we can look forward to, but again, this is one that we'd certainly like to have. Yeah, I mean, it hurt because it was at home, obviously, and it would have been a Quadrant 1 win at the end of the day, but you got the win over, you went 3-for-3 three three against UConn, Maryland, Georgetown, which is all Power 6 teams, technically, I guess, and the Georgetown win, obviously your first true road test, which we know was a problem last year. So that was really big to get that kind of checked off the list, a monkey off the back, to get a road win before you get to conference play. And obviously this team ended up doing pretty well on the road, especially compared to last year. So I thought that Georgetown win was probably the biggest win of the non-conference slate. The way they came back, the way, like you said, Tyus and Frank stepped up into kind of that leadership role. You got some good performances from Matt Moyer in that game, some Role players really helped out, and just a big win. Obviously, anytime you beat Georgetown's big as a Syracuse fan, but that one in particular because we knew this Georgetown team, that was a team that Syracuse should have beat. They might not have been super talented this year, but they were more talented than that Georgetown team, and it would have hurt to lose that one. It was just good to get a road win out of the gates. So then then comes the rope-a-dope where <laughs> Syracuse just absolutely strings everyone along Right out of the gate, the roller coaster. They smack Virginia Tech. I mean, it's it shows as a twelve point game, but just like UConn, this was like a twenty point game. Yeah, and Syracuse I thought for sure they were going to lose dominated. that game. That's yeah. I thought that was a shoe in Syracuse loss, but they just go out and blow the doors off a very good Virginia Tech team that at the time was averaging almost ninety points per game. Yeah, and and, and they crushed Mike Hopkins' zone earlier that year. Virginia right. Tech did. I thought they were just going to make everything against the zone from long range. They're a good three-point shooting team. They played well against Kentucky in the non-conference slate. So I thought going in that Syracuse was the overrated team. Virginia Tech was underrated at that point. But huge win. One of the first of many wins that I did not see coming. So they get that one. And you're I don't know how you were feeling at the time, but I'm thinking, okay, this team can get in the tournament. Yeah, it's a tournament this, this team. Is a, this is a right. good win right here. Next two games dashed all that. You, you start with Wake Forest, a game that was back and forth all game long. Yeah, I was at that thinking, game. That was yeah. that was a tough loss because you know that's an opportunity to get a road win in conference play, and obviously they went on to beat Wake two more times if you count the ACC tournament after that, and, and one being neutral, one at home. But that was a golden chance, and just too many turnovers from Tyus at the end. Frank actually played really well in that game. That was Right in that middle right. of the stretch where he was just making a ton of yeah. threes. Remember that? In January, <laughs> he, he went full GMAC. Yeah. I think his New Year's resolution was just to make a ton of threes. And, and, and he in delivered. January, he really. Just delivered. He delivered. 
But uh, and then Notre Dame obviously is just a train wreck of a and basketball. I'm game. really surprised this Notre Dame game isn't pointed to more. Yeah, <laughs> especially with how the whole tournament committee process went down. Yeah, no one Notre in the Dame, national spotlight really brought. No it one up. brought this game up, and if you're a Notre Dame fan. This is the one that you should be clamoring about and pointing to. Absolutely. With all your fandom. Raising because, picket fences and yeah. picket signs, just get, anything. Get Mike Bray out there on the lawn. <laughs> like, Why is he not calling for this? Because this was a game you went into Syracuse and beat an orange team without your two best players, both of which are all ACC-type guys. Bonzi Colson is an All-American-type guy. Yep. <laughs> and somehow they pull off – an unbelievable win. Syracuse looks like absolute garbage in the second half. You you don't get back on defense. God, that ending was the terrible. ending where Frank and and Dolajai don't run back right. to box out. And that's when you thought, okay, this is the Syracuse team we were expecting. Yeah, this talk year. about this a roller coaster. We, yeah. Those final 15 seconds of that Notre Dame game, you go from Tyus hits the three. They get the ball back. Tyus Iso, you're thinking, oh, he's going to hit another bucket and win this game. He gets stripped, and they go down the other end just like that. And talk about a heartbreaking loss. That might have been the most heartbreaking loss of the season, not only because it was at You home, had it right there. Yeah. It was just such an ugly game to watch, and it was like, okay, they're going to get out of here with a victory at the end. Tyus is going to do his thing, hit a clutch shot again, and somehow in a matter of 10 seconds, the script completely flipped. It's really... If you run that play with Tyus, the ISO, 15, 20 times, Notre Dame probably wins the game in regulation, what, once, twice? It's crazy that they were able to get the steal, and Tyus didn't get a shot off. Not only that, but to be able to go down the other end and get an easy layup to win. Just a wild sequence. Now we get to Virginia, and this was a game, seven-point game, respectable against uh, the team that ended up being the number one overall seed but did end up losing to umbc just (laughs) let's let's not get rid of that people forget people do forget (laughs) um but this game's another one of those games where it it looks closer than it was virginia kind of had a hold on this now syracuse hung with them in the first half but virginia started to pull away in the second half and then syracuse unleashes the press again and they the went back half. to the well. <laughs> yep, and, and almost drowned Tony Bennett in his tears again. But Virginia, a much better team. Third time's yeah. the charm for them. They're not going to falter under these conditions again. Then then this middle of the regular season was just everything you kind of expected, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's crazy just looking the back end on of, it. The end of January, Florida State lost, yeah. Pittsburgh, win. Yeah, you should have won that game. Boston College at home, probably a win. Maybe you're feeling kind of good after the Boston College game. Yeah, that was a good performance. It was a convincing win at home against a team that had already taken down Duke. And you had had five players in double figures in that game. So it was like, okay. That was... That was Dolajai's first big game. Yes. He looked like a change. From that point on, he was a changed player. I think that was when Matt Moyer rolled his ankle, Mm -hmm. too. Right. So... Maybe a coincidence there, because from that point on, he was in the starting lineup for the rest of the season. But, yeah, Dolajai started to look like a changed player, and you got better performances from your role players. They were just hitting jump shots in that game for the first time all season. I felt like they weren't doing anything completely different on offense, but the shots just started falling, and they got some momentum. And somehow they scored, like, 50 points in the first half and then just kept rolling into the second half. Let's skip to early February, and we've got got crazy. This is where, yeah, February was the craziest month of Syracuse basketball until March came. Louisville, this was a game that, short turnaround, you had just gotten absolutely waxed at home by Virginia, and you go to Louisville and play your best game at that point, up to that point. Right. On the road, in a hostile environment, against a Cardinals team that's looking pretty good. Looking really good at that time, yeah. They were rolling in ACC play, it's pretty much the same formula they did against Miami. This stretch, it was every game that I expected them to win, they lost, and every game that I expected them to lose, they won. And that Louisville game was kind of the first of those because it's on the road, like you said. It's a really talented Louisville team, and they're coming off and, frankly, got crushed by Virginia. So they somehow rally, get back into the tournament picture with that win, 
and then pretty they much have, one day's rest. Yeah, right. And then they have a rough stretch right after that, and it's like, oh, they're out of the tournament again. So it's just up and down, up and down. Yeah, a loss to NC State at home. You're thinking this is the dagger, right? A and fellow we'll, bubble team, right? And and you think, okay, the head-to-head, something that things could go down to. NC State already has big wins against UNC. I think they'd beaten Duke too. Clemson, Clemson, Arizona they, they, even. They had dominated everyone in the state at that point, um, which is weird from yeah, an NC State weird. team in this in this era. But they they done it so far. And what does Syracuse do right after that? They string you back in. Win <laughs> at Miami. Again, everyone's clamoring about these road wins were the things that kept Syracuse out last year. They get another big one against a Miami team heading into a stretch of three extremely tough games. You're looking at Miami, UNC, Duke. You told me before the year that Syracuse would pull out one win, I would have called you a liar because at the <laughs> time, there was a time when all three of these teams were top 10 teams. Now Miami wasn't in the top 25 when this game was played, but they were right on the outside looking in. You still kind of consider them a quality team. Absolutely. That was kind of the first performance where I was like, wow, this 2-3 zone is is getting a lot better and it can be really good because they held them to somewhere in the 50s range, and Miami is a good offense. They have a lot of really good guards. They have some NBA talent on that roster. So that's when I saw the defense kind of click. Yes, the next game against North Carolina, they allowed 78 points. But you score was, 74. Yeah, that was kind of a different animal, and North Carolina and Duke coming up. I think that's when the defense really started to progress and make a, a change from a good defense to perhaps a really good defense, and that's what we saw in the tournament, obviously. So the North Carolina game, that's when people start to say, okay, this is a tournament team again. You hang with one of the best teams in college basketball. And there's so a lot close. of momentum that this team could beat Duke that weekend. Yeah. I remember you and I, I think, were talking about this. I thought it was more likely that Syracuse beats Duke than North Carolina, even though the game's on the road. Right. We're thinking the defense is rolling at this point. And Duke, just matchups wise, Duke might not have favorable. Bagley too. Yeah, he ended up coming off That's the bench right. and, and making a huge impact in the game. But Syracuse really stifled the Duke guards all year long. I don't, and I don't think any other program can really say that. I don't think Syracuse Grayson Allen ever guards. played good against Syracuse no. in his four year career. I, I feel like he struggled every single time. So credit to Syracuse for that. And, which... and maybe I can't remember something, but has a Syracuse guard. Or has rather has a Duke guard played well against Syracuse over the last four years? I don't think so. I think Jason Tate. I mean, he's a forward, so I'm trying to remember the game that they won, the John Gillen game. I don't. Kennard played pretty well one year, but that's not really guard either. So I don't really think so. I mean, they've always struggled. They've against the zone, and Syracuse has always really played pretty well against Duke. I think they're like 500 or so since they joined ACC play, which is. Pretty impressive. They're because, competitive games. This yeah. was one of the few blowouts between K and Bayheim. Yeah, and that was that was kind of a wake up call of a game because you're you're sitting there. It just proved like okay, this this team just doesn't have nearly as much talent as Duke. Right. You could just tell. But at the same time, you held the nation's the defense to the job. Most, um, yeah, the most talent on one team is the Duke Blue Devils. There's no questions about yep. that. The best team in college basketball, I think. Well, it was Virginia, but now if you're looking at it in the Sweet 16, Elite 8, now Final Four context, it's Villanova just because of the team brand basketball they play. But Duke by far had more talent than anyone else. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't close. And they're going to for the foreseeable future. Right. The recruits they keep getting. But, yeah, that was that was kind of a weird game because usually when Syracuse loses by, like, 7 or 8, it's closer than the game, in, or it's actually kind of a blowout or something. And this was really the only time they actually got blown out all season. And it still was, what, a 16, 14-point game. So it, it's, it, they still had a chance kind of at halftime, but at the end of the day it was just too much talent for Duke. Quick Duke side tangent. John Shire getting yeah. an offer from Pitt. That's big for Syracuse <laughs> because Joe Girard. Remember, oh, John right. Shire is the one that is you. that is recruiting Joe Girard. His whole pitch is probably, hey, you can come be me. Right. So now, if Shire accepts this job, which I don't know if he will, because that... God, that, I wouldn't want the pit that, job. That pit <laughs> job is probably the worst one in America yes. right now, if I had to guess. I, I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> and I don't think Everyone's you're going to lose... Leaving. I don't think you're going to lose a comfy chair next to Coach K when... Who knows, maybe you're next in line at Duke yeah. to take that job. 
and, and leave the brotherhood, Tim Leonard, <laughs> to go to go join Pitt. Yeah, I didn't even think about Joe Girard, though, who obviously is a, a Syracuse recruit, a guy they're looking at from, where's he from again? Somewhere Right around like, Albany. Yeah, right yeah. around Albany, Jimmer Fredette's high school, and we've documented him. I really think he'd be a cool guy to have on the Syracuse roster. I'm, I'm hoping for that, obviously, not just because he's a good player, but because he's got a really cool backstory. I don't know. That's I, I think if you're John Shire, that's a, that's a tough decision because on one hand you get a ho- head coaching kick in the ACC, but on the other hand it's Pittsburgh, and that's not very enticing like we say at this time. Okay, so getting back to the season now. You finish up in a backwards way. You lose to Boston College, a game that you think you probably can win, and at this point you think you need to win yeah. to get into the tournament, or to at least feel comfortable going into the tournament loss. But that was you, doomsday. Then you go out and beat Clemson in a narrow win at home. Lawrence Moten gets his jersey retired, and ironically enough, they win by only scoring 55 points. You head into the ACC tournament with some steam. You've got that top 25 monkey off your back. You go out and beat Wake pretty handily. Again, this is a game where nine points is the final margin, but yeah. you won that one by like 15. They were crushing them in the first half. Then this is the one... Where Syracuse fans think, okay, A, we can win this game against North Carolina, and you solidify yourself in the field. This would be a monumental game. Did we get screwed with the draw? Yes, (laughs) but there's still hope that they can win this game. But that was far from the case. Carolina's dominant all game Gosh. long. UNC just destroys Syracuse. They've got to squash yeah. that in the in the coming years. What is that, like six or seven I straight think, wins yeah. now? It's just it's getting I mean, a little the excessive. The final four year was three times. Right, yeah. And that's so. that's really tough to do, as we know. So I don't know. It's they figured out the zone and hopefully next year it's gonna be on the road next year in Chapel Hill. So that's right. even tougher, but They've got to get a win over UNC because they play well against Duke. They play well against Virginia. Those are kind of the top dogs in the ACC. If you want to get to that elite status, you've got to be able to at least be competitive with UNC and steal a win every once in a while. They've really struggled against UNC. Then we get into the tournament. Yep. Somehow Syracuse grabs spot number 68. We couldn't believe it. No. Not one bit. Um, Notre Dame fans still can't believe it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Mike Bray does. He, why did he not fight that more? I don't know. You're really he gonna just send out, over. You're really gonna send out Bonzi Colson like that? Yeah, it's tough. Bonzi Colson's not. I mean, his college basketball career is over without a tournament appearance. And I don't know that team, that Notre Dame team. I thought could have really made a run. And obviously, it looks better for the committee now that Syracuse made a run. But yeah. I don't know. I thought that Notre Dame team belonged in, and I thought there was no way that Notre Dame was going to get in in Syracuse, or Notre Dame wasn't going to get in, Syracuse was. But somehow I didn't see Louisville, I didn't see Notre Dame's name when we were going through the alphabetical list, and you figured one of those ACC bubble teams had to get in. Yeah. Baylor. All right. I want to ask you, we won't go tournament game by tournament game because everyone knows the story by now, but – Thinking back on what the most impressive game in the NCAA tournament is, I almost want to say it's Duke. Yeah. I, a lot of people want to say Michigan State. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm kind of tempted to say the same thing. Michigan State was a, a great coaching job. Beheim outcoached Izzo oh, like no other there. Yeah, he crushed Izzo. But Duke, performance-wise, I think you got to chalk it up. That was the best game of the tournament. Yeah. The only thing is, I feel like Duke they kind of missed some chances to put the game away. I don't think that was Duke's A game in a in a weird way. And obviously, it may not have been Duke's A game, but at the same time, Duke's B game is still better than any other team that they played's A game. Yeah. Maybe not Michigan State, but the other three, you're going to go up against a B, a B team Duke, and they're still probably an Elite Eight Sweets. I mean, Duke brought its B game against Kansas, and look how that ended. Yeah. No, I think that was. I think that was the best performance overall. I'm, I'm gonna say that because obviously everyone expected it to just come to a crashing halt at that point, and Duke to roll over, and the talent gap was so wide. Just Jim Beheim to do what he did with the t- the roster that he had compared to Coach K. That might be Coach K's most talented roster ever. I think. Yeah, you could clearly say that. Yeah, and. 
it was a four-point game. They had a chance down the stretch. Obviously, if they had hit a three, maybe with 12 or 15 seconds left when Battle had the ball, they might go into overtime. And and somehow, just to get to that point, it's wild. Yeah. So, here we are. (laughs) Syracuse ends in the Sweet 16. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I don't know, man. It's wild. And now next year, it's can you do it with the expectations on? Because right. for for a weird reason, it feels like this team benefited from having house money, getting into the tournament late. That playing game gives you some momentum, and they just got clicking, and the stars kind of aligned with who they played and everything. But not, I mean, you got to give them some credit, of course. It was really an impressive performance, nonetheless, regardless of who they played and everything. But I don't know. Now, now it's can you prove it in the regular season? Because you don't want to sweat out another selection no. Sunday. It's getting getting a little it almost overdone seems, at this point. Yeah. Looking for let, let's go ahead. We'll look into next year. You almost got to say if you're not a four seed, then you didn't meet expectations. Yes, they'll I be think, a top twenty preseason and, team. And four is conservative. I'll say four now. Yeah, but this is going to be a team that's going to be in the top. 20 maybe even top 15 preseason with all the talent that's coming in obviously there's some variables out there who stays who goes that's a whole nother story because i personally think tyus battle's gone me too i think there is a 50 50 shot o'shea Brissett leaves and when you look at it all you're gonna have the guys who can come in and replace those Elijah Hughes is going to finally see the floor. I think that's a guy who a lot of Syracuse fans are excited to see. Darius Baisley, of course, top 10 recruit, best one since Mello. That's a storyline to certainly so many guys throughout the year. And there's just an influx of talent. Yep. Jalen Carey's great. Will he contend with Frank Howard for his starting spot? Who knows? So many Will questions. Frank Howard move off the ball to slide in Jalen Carey? Again, a lot of things to, to look into for next season, but... I think right now it's perfectly fair to say this team next year, I'm not going to say it's a disappointment if you're not a four seed because look what Syracuse has done as a double-digit seed the last two years. But if you are if you are a, not a four seed or better, you did not meet expectations in terms of your regular season play. Yeah, I mean, they haven't had a good regular season since C.J. Fair and Tyler Ennis year. And I think there were a three seed that year. But since then, you obviously had the sanctions, the year where you give yourself the postseason ban when you weren't going to make the tournament anyway, the year where you sneak in, get to the Final Four last year with the, or two years ago with the talented roster before Tyler Lydon leaves. And it's just to get that next step, to take that next step to the top of the ACC, you've got to prove it in the regular season. Syracuse can't be known. Right now the narrative is – they get it done in March. They're usually a double-digit seed, and they use their 2-3 zone to make a run in March. But if you want to be a top tier in the ACC, you've got to be like threatening for a national title once every four or five years and get into some Final Fours when you're a 2 or a 3 seed and maybe even sneak in a 1 seed every once in a while. And they just haven't been anywhere close to that. They've been sniffing or sweating it out on Selection Sundays and and I don't know. That's that's the biggest thing for me. Prove it with the expectations on, with a more talented roster. Prove that you're, like you said, a four seed or a three seed at worst, and you have nothing to worry about. Maybe even contend for like an ACC regular season title or make a run in the ACC tournament. We've only seen them win one ACC tournament game. So do it in the regular season and prove that so that the narrative changes from oh, they just get it done in March as a double-digit Cinderella to this is a legit program and one of the best programs in the ACC. And I think what you really – this isn't really going to hit people, I think, until the season starts of how good Darius Baisley is for this team because, again, we saw it against Duke. We saw it against Carolina. There's a giant talent gap between these guys. Darius Baisley is a top-10 recruit. Let me give you the back end of the top-10. It's – Colin Sexton, this is from 2017. Right. Colin Sexton, Gary Trent Jr., Jaron Jackson, and Kevin Knox. Yeah. To say those guys, <laughs> those guys made an unbelievable impact on their teams throughout the year. I know you and I kind of trash Jaron Jackson, but he's a great player. Obviously. A future yeah. NBA lottery pick. Might even go in the top five. Who knows? That's just how good Darius Baisley is. And he's going to come in and make a, a monster, monster impact on this team 
He's the most talented player Syracuse has had since Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. I mean, just saying, I don't think that's unfair to say. No, no, absolutely. I mean, that's what the ratings say, and that's what kind of the eye test says at this point, too. Just think, Tyus Battle and Malachi Richardson, those are two guys that, what I mean, Tyus averaged 20, 20 points per game this season, probably, and that's kind of abnormal because he was really the only option, but... Those are two guys that are going to be in the NBA someday, and they were 25 to 35 range for their class in recruiting. That was what they were ranked on ESPN. And Baisley is 15 to 20 spots better than those guys. So he, he could be a lottery guy. I and mean, keep you'd in have mind, to imagine that. This is a guy who just continues to improve his game. He was outside the top 50. Then he moves inside the top 30. Then he slides inside the top 10. This guy's getting better and better as the days go on, and that kind of shows, A, he's dedicated to his craft, he's going to get in the gym, he's going to put in the hours, and B, it's going to pay off too, and we've already seen it pay off. And again, this is a guy who's coming in as the number, as like depending on where you look, but he's in the 7-10 to 10 range in a class that includes Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and Zion Williamson, who are three of the most talented players college basketball is going to see over the next 10 And they're all going to years. Gosh. Right, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, three really talented players. It's not by any means a weak class. It's not that's not why he's in the top ten. So this is your standard, maybe even stronger than normal class, and he is a top ten guy, and that's something Syracuse hasn't had since Carmelo Anthony. So you counter that or you couple that with a really talented roster coming back. Maybe you get Tyus to come back or O'Shea, one of the two maybe, and this is a team that has enormous potential. If O'Shea comes back, this team's going to be really special. Yeah. Even if he Just doesn't come back, forwards. it's going to be pretty good. But forwards-wise, yeah, like you said, O'Shea Brissett and Darius Baisley on, on those on those spots. You're putting Marek Dolajai on the bench. Right. Wild. Or you're going super small. Yeah, you probably have – I mean, maybe Elijah Hughes starts at battle's not there. you probably got Carey coming off the bench. You've got Sidibe coming off the bench probably. A hopefully healthy Sidibe right. too. Because, again, Syracuse, you got Sidibe light this year. You got an injured version of Barama Sidibe, and he showed some promise. Again, he yeah. has some trouble with the fouls, but he's also, remember, he's compensating because he's hurt. He's Absolutely. He's going to be a little slower, and then he's not. He's going to get beat, and he's going to be forced to kind of There were still times blocks. where he had 18 or 20 points so far, or right. times this season against Pittsburgh, I can think of. So I think he could make a leap next year if he gets healthy, and – that's big because obviously he could be that anchor guy in the back of the zone, which you know that's kind of you got to have that piece if you want to make a Final Four run, and you're a Syracuse team. So I don't know if Baisley. I mean, he's long, he's lanky, but I don't really see him. It's not ideal to have him at the anchor spot. So right. you hopefully want to get a healthy Barama Sidibe or another good year from Pascal Chukwu so that you have some shot blocking ability in the back of the zone. All right, last thing before we go. We've been going for a while now, <laughs> as we usually do. Let's assume Tyus Battle leaves because if he comes back, he's he's the he's the easy answer for this question, I think. Who leads this team in scoring next year? We'll say Brissett comes back, yeah. Battle leaves. I think it's got to be O'Shea. I think it'll be O'Shea maybe putting up 15 a game, 16 a game, and Darius Baisley 14, 13. 15 right around there and he'll probably get better as the season goes on but I think it's kind of a toss-up between those two and then Elijah Hughes and Frank Howard right behind them as your guards that are going to be probably around double double figures averaging a game but it'll be a more balanced team for sure I I'm taking Baisley yeah, I think he's going to come in and average in that 18 to 19 and a half right I don't think he's going to get he's to 20 I think he's capable of it I don't think he'll get to 20 and I think certainly the way that Syracuse plays pace-wise is going to hurt him. Yeah. But I think he can certainly get up there and have himself a hell of a season because this guy is ridiculously talented. So let's assume, like you said, Brissett comes back and everything else kind of goes according to plan. Maybe Howard Washington takes him a little while to get back because the ACL happened kind of midway through the year. So you right. don't know if he's going to be back for game one. But let's assume everything else goes according to plan. Does Jim play 10, 11 guys, or does he? Does Buddy redshirt? Like, how do you get it down I don't, to? I don't know eight why guys? there's this assumption by a lot of people that Buddy's redshirting. I mean, because, I'm not saying he will, but no, I know, I know it's not yeah. you saying it, but like we get all these all these mentions on Twitter saying Buddy's redshirting, Buddy's redshirting, Buddy's redshirting. Keep in mind, this team still doesn't have 
any great shooters. Yeah. They're going to need – there's going to be times in games where you're going to need a guy like Buddy Beheim to come off the bench and just get you a couple threes. Absolutely. And, that's, and remember, it doesn't matter how many minutes he plays. It's how many games he plays. So if you find yourself in these close situations, then he will have no choice but to not redshirt because I think Jim's going to trust his son to go out there and get him a bucket if he needs to. And with Buddy Beheim, he he knows this zone. Like, like, yep. <laughs> He, he, was draw- he was drawing it up on his Etch-A-Sketch when he was two years old. Like, <laughs> this is what he knows. And in talking with him, like, he's going to teach some of these other freshmen the ins and outs of it, too, before that his dad really gets in on them, too. But this guy knows the defense better than probably anyone on the team. Yeah. I don't know. It's just hard for me to – because I can't visualize Beheim playing 10 or 11 guys. But I, I can't, can't either. But at the I, same time, how this who do you team, take out? And remember, we said this in 2016, 2017, with that team that was supposed to be loaded 9, 10 deep. Right, and that didn't and work out. And it, it basically you saw Frank Howard and Daywan Coleman and to an extent Tyler Roberson trimmed out of the rotation. Yeah, and Coleman was just hurt too. Right, Coleman was hurt. Howard was just making turnovers and wasn't good enough at the time. John Gillen was out playing him. Right. I think that in this 2018, 2019, or rather – yeah, 2018-2019 season, you're going to see eight, nine guys. Yeah. I I just think there's too much talent at this right. point. Right. Like, no way Brissette, if Brissett comes back, there's no way he's getting cut out of the rotation. Darius Baisley's playing every game and starting every game. Yeah. Frank Howard is playing every game, probably starting right. every Let's game. Let's just go about it that way. Let's, like, cross off who we know is going to play. You have to have someone play center. Yeah. So Pascal's playing. You is think, Mark Dolezal yeah. going to get cut out? No, Probably not. I don't think he can. I mean, the way that he's he plays so much, he's carved out this this niche on this team of being that scrappy guy. He can tip rebounds out. He can go up and get some. He's starting to become confident in a jump shot. He's carved this little thing out, yeah. and I think that it's going to be too much for Jim to so, say we we're going to sit him. If Battle goes pro, that leaves ten guys basically. Not then, to mention you might add one or two because you've got 12 scholarships, yeah, yeah. 13 scholarships. That's true. But no let's just Moyer assume anymore. it's those 10 guys. I think Howard Washington Howard is Washington's probably— Howard Washington's the odd man out. Yeah, he's probably the odd man out because that gets you to nine, which is feasible. I still feel like Jim will cut it to eight somehow, and maybe that'll just happen through injuries and another transfer or something. But I feel like Howard Washington's kind of the odd man out right now. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you on that. But I don't see Jim going— less than nine guys averaging at least 10 minutes a game. Eh, maybe seven. Yeah. I think he, he should go nine guys. Take advantage of it. It's not it's not in his style, but adapt a little bit to the roster you have because that's what the UNCs and the Dukes are doing. And a don't, lot of these teams are doing And that. don't run these kids into the ground. They're dog-tired. Yeah. I know they say, oh, it's just another thing, but bodies break down. Right. You're one, again, mental lapses. You can't have those down the stretch, and maybe that comes from these guys being so beat up. You saw all the ice in the locker room. It wasn't pretty. So it's certainly something to look forward to next year. There's going to be a lot more depth, and I think that's going to be the most interesting part of how Bayheim figures this whole rotation thing out. Yeah, it's just going to be a really unique roster altogether. You've got a couple new freshmen coming in that can play right away, and then you've got all this depth, and... Obviously, there's still a ton of question marks. I wrote an article Monday morning, this morning, saying that, you know, I'm going to do the way-too-early preview, the classic preview, after the tournament wraps up. But there's still so many so many things up in the air. But that's why we're – it's fun to do this and speculate about it because yeah. this team is loaded, and they do have Final Four potential when you just look at it on paper. So now it's just execute with the expectations on you, like I keep saying. All right. Any last thoughts before we go? I think we hit on everything <laughs> somehow. There was everything a lot to more. talk about. Yeah. But anyways, no Matt Moyer next season, but this team should still be very good. Yeah. And it's going to be fun. Both you and I don't think Battle's coming back. I think 50-50 Brissett comes back. I'm going to say more than 50-50 after his Instagram post on Monday of basically buying... saying, you're not I buying feel, it? I feel like Malachi Richardson was saying the same things about Tyus Battle. Both Jersey guys. Yeah. And for those that don't know, he basically, O'Shea said it was Darius Baisley, which the McDonald's All-American mm-hmm. game coming up on Wednesday night, something to look, keep an eye out on. 
keep an eye out on because Basley will be playing in that, but he put a photo of Basley in that McDonald's All-American game jersey and said, my future teammate and little bro or something like that. So, I don't wow, know. The, Ra- the Raptor- Plus- Raptors getting a head start. Yeah. Already looking at Basley, right? <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us here on the FizzCast. Be sure to subscribe and rate on iTunes five stars by searching Orange Fizz. We'll get you all the latest content and that and all that good stuff. You can find us online as well, orangefizz.net. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, Orange Fizz. You'll get all our latest and greatest content. For Tim Leonard, I'm Tyler Aki. That's going to do it for us, Orange Nation. Have a great day.